0: concept in uh, psychology called loss aversion, right? Which is this idea that people, when they have something large at risk, they'll do a lot more to avoid losing it. And so when people are dealing with the real estate transaction, especially a first time home buyer, There's a large amount at risk, right? Like I really want this home and this is a huge transaction and there's a lot of money on the line. And so I think, you know, when that happens, people are going to want to gravitate towards something that gives them certainty. And a lot of that certainty comes from the empathy of having a person who you feel like is an expert in this topic. And so we think that is a thing that humans excel at. But the idea is anytime you don't want to have to wait for a person And for the things that people are not necessarily as good at, like the actual routing of data, calculating derived information, and so forth, we've taken the human out of it and reduced the error rate.
1: Welcome back, Housing News listeners. This is Alcena Lloyd, and I'm the producer of this weekly podcast. You just heard a word from Ashwin Dayal, the president of Lone Monkey. In today's episode, he discusses how the company is planning to compete and win against lenders like Rocket and Better.com with a model that takes operational cues from both. Well, thank you for listening, and here's Episode 5 of Season 7 of the Housing News Podcast. Welcome, everyone. I'm
2: Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief of Housing Wire, with the latest episode of our Housing News Podcast. I'm excited to introduce our guest today, Ashwin Dayal, the president of Loan Monkey, which is a digital mortgage startup. He's also the co-founder of Ridgebox Creations, which is a product accelerator. And I'm excited about this conversation because we have so much fintech and mortgage and real estate overlap, and it's exciting to talk to someone who's kind of at the beginning of that journey and tell us where they are. So Ashwin, welcome to Housing News.
0: Thanks for having me, Sarah.
2: You know, the first question we always ask our guests is to tell us how they got in the industry. And you've had a really interesting um, conversation. Career. The first one, the first things you did was on a, a sailboat. I think a historic sailboat. So uh, we we need to know that story.
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's that's a funny one. So uh, you know, I started my journey out of college actually working in the ad tech world. So I was working for a social media startup out in New York, mostly because I just wanted to be in New York. Uh, it's a <laughs> good city. But uh, but you know, after working in that for about two and a half years, I uh, had kind of run out of my interest on, on that topic. And, uh, I had gone sailing one time in high school and thought it was pretty cool. So I was like, I want to learn more about this. And, uh, I didn't get paid super well in ad tech. So I decided, all right, how do I learn to sail for free? And Basically, uh, research sailing apprenticeships and managed to find one with a really cool organization called Clearwater out in New York, which, uh, fun fact was one of the original organizations that started the environmental movement in the U.S. But uh, anyways, they uh, they were willing to take me on as a sailing apprentice. And uh, as a result, I ended up doing tall ship sailing, which uh, for those who don't know, is like Sarah said, a historic uh, old wooden ship. In this case, it was a classic Hudson River sloop, the kind that used to do the Hudson River trade during the 1800s. And uh, ended up as a sailing apprentice on that, and uh, learning how to sail while teaching uh, kids in the Hudson River Valley about uh, water conservation. And that, that is super uh, cool. <laughs> that's still probably my favorite job. I like what I do now, but but there is definitely something something pretty special about about that one.
2: That's great. Well, okay. So how did we get from sailing into uh, fintech slash mortgage? Yeah. Tell us that.
0: So while i was uh, sailing on the boat i was of course thinking about what i was going to do next because uh i well i liked sailing a lot it wasn't my forever plan so uh so while i was thinking about it one of the things i had seen in the ad tech world was that a lot of people now this is back in like 2013 2014 a lot of people at that time in the ad tech world were basically trying to grab up whatever technology they could. They were hearing, hey, technology is really, really important. We need to do something about it. But there weren't actually a lot of people in advertising who had a great understanding of technology. On the other side, you had all these technology folks who were coming in and they were like, hey, this ad space doesn't have any tech. We can do a bunch of stuff here. But they didn't really know much about advertising. And so what I found was that a lot of these larger brands would buy technologies, sometimes for obscene amounts of money, that had no actual business ROI. And so one of the things that uh, I had come to think of was that I had a pretty good understanding of technology from my uh, kind of college days. And at the same time, uh, having spent time in an advertising company, I had learned a good amount about advertising and how that worked. And so I saw sort of this intersection that I could take between technology understanding and business understanding and putting that together. And so originally Ridgebox was started as a creative design company that would help people with their marketing, as well as building out their websites and so forth with, uh, the starting point being a holistic understanding of their business. Uh, but because we were right out of college, basically, uh, my two co-founders had just graduated and then I had two years of work experience. So we weren't super experienced yet. Uh, we, we got a few cool projects here and there. We got the UN, we got, uh, Hitachi, but for the most part, we ended up working with startups, uh, which is how we ended up merging into becoming a product accelerator. And one of our first clients was a company called Weiss Analytics, which Basically, was started by Alan Weiss, who uh, was the former CEO of Case-Shiller Weiss, uh, which created the Case-Shiller indices, which uh, forecast home prices. And basically, what Alan was trying to do at Weiss Analytics was take that same sort of repeat sales methodology and bring it down to the individual home level, so that you know instead of just saying, "Hey, homes in New York are going up two percent," because that doesn't really tell you anything about your home we could tell you, oh, okay, Sarah, your specific home is going up 5%, even though the market's going up two. or actually yours is going down 3% because uh, you're not in an area that's that's working out too well. And, uh, and so I was helping him develop those specific indices, forecasts, and valuation models. And that essentially rolled over into a, another company that he was creating called Revex, where he was trying to create a model where people could buy homes without a mortgage. Uh, and so this is sort of in the vein of companies people may have heard of like zero down Divi, house uh home and so forth and uh and so we had a model called rebex and uh sean marsh was brought in to be the ceo of that company and sean and i ultimately ended up spinning out of that and starting our own sort of fractional ownership model called tangelo and uh admittingly we were we were you know pretty new, I think, to the Silicon Valley space and the fundraising space. We weren't as successful there as we had planned. And uh, in the meanwhile, we created a mortgage company uh, on the side called RunMonkey. And we did that uh, partially because it would have a lot of synergies with Tangelo. We knew a lot of people would come in thinking they wanted a mortgage and then realize that the mortgage might not be the right option for them. And fractional ownership might be a better option for them. And that is how Lone Monkey got started. So in a sense, it started as a bit of an accident, uh, but that that's how it happens. And then as we started Lone Monkey, we realized that a lot of the industry, while there's a lot of tech that has started to come in, in some ways it looks very similar to how ad tech looked in 2014 when I came up with that idea around Ridgebox. And so, uh, we started just doing that for ourselves and we picked up a lot of progress and grew really fast.
2: You know, um, it's a digital mortgage startup. So, you know, in that sense, what does that what does that mean? What is a digital mortgage startup? I mean, what does Loan Monkey do? Yeah,
0: yeah, it's a great question, especially because uh, you know, there's a million companies saying they do digital mortgage now, uh, and and in a sense, there are many people trying to do digital mortgage, right? You have Better.com, um, you have Morty, you have Up Equity. There's there's a lot of people out there. Um, so, what we mean when we say a digital mortgage is you know with better or with rocket uh which you know we have a lot of respect for those guys they're kind of like our big brothers if you will um the originators of the space but um you know with those uh companies today what a digital experience means is that you can do your application online you can run some e-verification so e-verifications would be like hey, I want to sync my bank accounts uh, rather than sending you bank statements. So I get a screen like I would in Mint. I can click on that bank uh, logo and then I can log in and sync my bank data. Um, So I can sync some e-verification type data. And then, you know, maybe the system runs credit automatically. Maybe it goes through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac's uh, automated underwriting systems to give me like what my conditions would be. And then both of them kind of go to the mode of from here, you upload your documents, a loan officer reviews it, and you get a verified pre-approval. And so from there, it becomes a more manual process. And of course, you know, Rocket and Better have done a lot on their backends to uh, build a lot of operational efficiencies. But that digital experience for the consumer kind of ends. And uh, what we mean when we say a digital mortgage is really two things one is first from the consumer perspective and what we mean from the consumer perspective is that we want to create a true end-to-end experience that the consumer can do in one place and do entirely digitally that they don't have to be in a specific place do specific documents or anything like that in order to in order to do the experience and you know if you come from any other industry this seems like a really simple challenge right like okay it's not a big deal you build a website you build a web application you get a few developers and it should be no problem but uh it becomes a really big challenge in part because there's so many parties involved in the transaction so you know it's not just that we the mortgage provider controls everything we also have to deal with title companies we have to deal with an appraiser we have to deal with hoi verifications and then we have to deal with all these you know, documents that people upload to us that uh, you know, some of them are obvious, W-2s are in a really structured format, but some of them are not structured at all. Uh, like homeowners association statements can come in a million different formats. And so, uh, and so in tackling this problem, you know, one of the big things you really have to figure out is how do I orchestrate all of this information that's coming from different places Ideally, do it in a way that's still automated and digital, and then bring it into a place that's understandable for the consumer. So that's one side of the problem that we're trying to tackle. The other side of the problem that we're trying to tackle is if you think about kind of anything else you do as a consumer, you expect to be able to drive things yourself in real time. You don't really expect that you have to wait for something else to happen on the other side, at least for not for any long duration of time. Um, and so we call this the asynchronous experience, if you will. And so, uh, and so in in that idea, the asynchronous experience, where we want you to be able to do a thing, then not have to wait on us, and then things happen. We've tried to develop a process where our mortgages can be done without a person in the loop. Now, that's a journey where we're not there today, uh, but we're getting pretty close. Um, and so, what I mean by that is we are now at the point where a certain percentage of our loans can pretty much hit that mark. Um, and so that's that's one of the big things we've been working on. And as a big part of that, we just launched uh, within the last week, uh, still in beta, but in the last week, an uh, AI underwriting uh, tool that basically will read those customer documents as soon as they upload them, analyze income assets and so forth right then and there, and punch back the actual finding, not just like an AUS finding right there so that someone can have a real approval, which we think will be pretty big in purchase. And just kind of as a fun proof point, again, small percentage so far, but as a fun proof point, uh, we actually had our first loan that on that first hit managed to get straight to clear to close just from the customer submitting those documents, courtesy having an appraisal waiver as well. And, uh, and so we have a loan that basically is going to have a 10 day close on a refi, which is pretty much perfect.
2: Yeah. That's so interesting. So, um, you know, this question was, was going to come up later anyway, but, um, (laughs) one of the things that we keep hearing is that yes, you know, technology is great, but, you know, people who are buying a house, they often want a human. So, you taking the human out of the equation and making it a purely digital play—how um, does that go? With you know, I mean, you don't know that homeowner coming in. If where do they want the handholding? What do yeah, you great. Why not doing that?
0: Great question. So, I think you know one misconception, and uh, you know, when you make the digital pitch, it, it can get lost. So, so I definitely understand that. Is we're definitely not trying to say that no humans should ever be involved. Um, we really, I think, think about it more as humans should be involved in what humans are really good at. And data entry, data assessment, um, bringing together data from different places, that's that's not really where where humans are special, per se. Um, you know, I think one of the reasons first-time homebuyers are really concerned with having a person involved, and why real estate agents aren't going to disappear anytime soon, albeit you know certain parts of what a real estate agent might be taken away, is um, there's a, a concept in uh, psychology called loss aversion, right? Which is this idea that people, when they have something large at risk, they'll do a lot more to avoid losing it and uh and so when people are dealing with the real estate transaction especially a first-time home buyer there's a large amount at risk right like i really want this home and this is a huge transaction and there's a lot of money on the line and so i think you know when that happens people are going to want to gravitate towards something that gives them certainty and a lot of that certainty comes from the empathy of having a person who you feel like is an expert in this topic sitting with you understanding your situation and guiding you through the steps and uh and so we think that is a thing that humans excel at having empathy, communicating, making someone feel seen, uh, helping them feel guided through a process. These, these are things that humans excel at. And we definitely have, you know, home loan consultants, we call them uh, mortgage coordinators and so forth, who, who will help our customers through the process and are available. But the idea is anytime you don't want to have to wait for a person, and for the things that people are not necessarily as good at, like the actual routing of data, calculating derived information, and so forth, we've taken the human out of it and reduced the error rate.
2: So let me. So let me get more specific. So, is yeah. do you employ loan originators? Do you do. and are they loan originators like you would find at another mortgage? Like, are they compensated the way that uh, loan originators are usually compensated? Like, what does that look like?
0: Yeah, great question. So. I'd say, um, you know, compared to like the retail mortgage model, it's very different, right? We don't have loan originators who are going in the field trying to find real estate agents and builders to build relationships with. We don't have people making large percentage points on each deal. Um, we don't have that kind of thing. Um, what we do have is, you know, we have probably what you would expect to find in other call center oriented companies. We do all the digital marketing. We bring customers with the relationship to Loan Monkey. We have uh, loan originators who once upon a time worked in an office courtesy COVID. We've grown the entire company remote now. So a loan originator who's sitting in their home at this point um, who can take calls, talk to the customer and so forth. And uh, that loan originator right now is compensated with a commission on the loan. But those commissions are vastly lower than what you would see in the retail model. Um, you know, it's going to be a few hundred bucks a loan.
2: Interesting. So um, sort of like a better setup, would you compare yourself and the way that you have loan originators to, to what Better does?
0: I would say we're very similar. Um, our productivity numbers are, are a bit higher. Um, I think Better is kind of running at the 19 yeah. 19- Uh, Loans per originator average right now. And we're running in the mid 20s, sometimes 30s. And we expect that that'll go up even further as we kind of improve our processes and technology. I think uh, the other part probably to note is that uh, with Better, they use um, a kind of assistant model as well. And the assistant type stuff that typically is done in most mortgage companies, which will be things like cleaning up the loan application, sourcing other parts of data to make sure that like the property type is right and so forth. We've, we've invested a lot in automating uh, what the assistant would do, um, which means we don't have to sort of rely on a model where, you know, there's one assistant per two LOs type of uh, situation. Like they have it better.
1: And here's a brief word from our sponsor. Radiant Ready positions you to do business better. By easing the transition from title production to title curative, Radian Ready clears the way for quicker closings with less legwork. You can also expect accurate searches, seamless workflows, end-to-end service, and easy-to-understand title reports for your borrowers. If you're ready for a better take on title, you're ready for Radian Ready. Visit Radian.com ReadyTitle for more details. That's Radian.com slash ReadyTitle for details.
2: Um, well, thanks for outlining some of that. That that was those were some of my questions about that, and I think that it helps people when they're trying to say, okay, well, where does this fit? What does that look like? To to talk about something that people are already very familiar with, you know, what one of the things I said in the intro is we see a tremendous amount of crossover these days between fintech, real estate, mortgage, with integrations and also acquisitions. And you know, for the for the whole time I've been at HousingWire. You know, a founder story. Yours was actually a little bit different because usually the the technology founder story is like, I went to buy a house, I realized it was a arcane process, I want to make the process better. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that that's great. Like that's how people find um, problems and then solve them. But at the same time, I think what we saw uh, is a lot of people coming in who had no idea of the the real challenges. Present in a mortgage to to your point, it looks like, well, why isn't this easy, right? Uh, And then you, you know, clearly it's not easy. And and part of that is the regulatory part. Part of that is the, you know, single biggest investment of someone's life. So so from your perspective, why why is a fintech company turned mortgage originator? Why why are you a better model to do that than a a a typical traditional bank or or lender, even if they're non-depository, figuring out their own way into it?
0: Yeah, and great question. I think. You know we have a pretty unique team story if you will so i kind of talked to my story a bit but uh you know our founding team here is made up of uh three co-founders sean myself and chris and our ceo sean marsh is a guy who's been in mortgage for a very long time you know sean i think started his first mortgage company right out of college basically and uh started I think back in the days when uh, newspaper advertising was the uh, was the key way to go.
2: I, I've called, been in those days. I, I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, he uh, he built a company called Access Mortgage, um, which was specifically named because the rates in newspapers would be alphabetical, and so access with ACC would go right up to the top. And uh, he started there, sort of with rate based marketing. Always trying to give the lowest rate to the customer, not trying to overbake the economics of it, but doing it in a in a world where you know there wasn't as much technology yet available to really really sort of build the experience we're trying to build today. But I think you know, so one part of our story is that Sean has been trying to do this kind of thing for a very long time and has a lot of experience in the industry. Um, he's basically been it for about thirty, probably thirty years now. Uh, and has built a few different companies in the industry. So one is that our team brings pretty significant mortgage expertise, I think, to the table that a lot of uh, other teams that have kind of approached this haven't brought so far. Uh, then my background comes more from the technology side and uh, and coming from the technology side, I bring a lot of that background. But one of the things that you know Sean really made sure of when we started this company together. Was that uh, I got really embedded in all of the different parts of actually doing a loan? So uh, I've processed a good number of loans myself, uh, closed a few, funded some. Uh, pretty much every part of it except underwriting and uh, loing. And uh, but other than that, I've basically gone through most most of the process myself personally of doing each of each of the jobs that needs to be done to really like get an understanding of. Of what the different components are. And then our third co founder, Chris, in addition to having been in mortgage for quite a while and bringing that background, he also uh, comes from real estate investing and building real estate. And uh, so he had a lot of experience, not just in what does the mortgage side of stuff look like, but also what do a lot of the other parties look like. And then he also brings a pretty good experience in uh, the regulatory side. And so I think kind of combining those pieces we brought a bit of a different DNA, if you will, to to kind of tackling this problem than, than most teams that are approaching it right now.
2: Uh, thanks for that background. You know, and, and anyone who starts a business has to go, you know, okay, here are our competitors and here's how we're going to do this better. So um, I can, I can definitely tell you, know, you guys are, are doing that digital, but you, you, you mentioned other people already in the space. So when you think about um, reaching that customer, I mean, you're going up against Rocket, who you know is just the 800 pound gorilla, right? Um, you even have a, a picture of a rocket with a monkey in it. So I, I'm wondering <laughs> about some uh, subliminal <laughs> message. <in there. laughs> That's
0: right. Like,
2: well when you when you guys thought about starting this and and knowing who's already there, um, you know, what gives you the confidence to say, yeah, no, we're, we're going to do this because somehow we're going to get to more consumers than than you know somebody who's already really established in a digital uh, space.
0: Yeah. And I appreciate you bringing back the question because I realized that also didn't answer your part about banks. I'll, I'll make sure to get back to that too. Um, so the, the rocket real quick in the background is, uh, is the first monkey to go to space was named Albert. And so uh, our technology internally is, uh, is named Albert. And so we have, uh, have the, the monkey and the rocket going to space is, as uh, part of our, our designs. Um, but uh yeah, you know, when you look at a company like Rocket, it's it's a pretty interesting question, and I don't think there's an exact, obvious answer to it, right? If Rocket uh, really wanted to throw all their money at the same problem and bring all their expertise to it, and uh, you know, maybe incentivize a small team of really top-notch people to go at it, you know, I think they they do have the expertise, the team, the money, the resources, etc., to to do a really good job of the problem, and we. You know, are actually pretty funnily enough, Sean sold a uh, a prior company to rocket. Uh, he had built one reverse mortgage and sold it to them so we're we're pretty tied in with those guys and they're they're very smart uh we we know them quite well and definitely have a lot of respect for them. I think in the case of rocket, what I can say is that their business model is not really aligned for this kind of uh, approach, at least not yet. Um, and the reason behind that is when you look at a player like rocket rocket charges a much higher margin than most of the other companies in the space, you know, rockets gain on sale numbers are much higher than most, uh, competitive mortgage companies. And rocket has done that and built themselves as sort of a premium brand by building a very high touch experience where, uh, where they've built, you know, I mean, an incredible call center, call center, you know, operation there there's salespeople it's an aspiration for us to be <laughs> as good as they are at that you know but they've they've done a really good job at that and so by doing that they they command a premium and i think part of commanding that premium is giving that high touch experience and so in a sense rocket isn't after this problem yet i think the other thing with a player like rocket um and even if you take you know let's take another player who might be interesting to talk about blend right blend is out there trying to do the whole digital mortgage uh experience so why isn't blend trying to just tackle it all the way to the way that we're doing it i think you know with blend there's a bit of a structural advantage we have as well which i'll talk to in a moment but i think for both of these players once you get to a certain size you're interested in tackling a bigger problem and that bigger problem is you know rocket has hit a six percent to eight percent market share And they market pretty much everywhere you can go and they can't seem to gain any more market share. So for them, I don't know if they really see much of an edge for them from a business case of trying to tackle this problem effectively versus the problem that they really sorry, seem to focus on, which is TPO. You know, by focusing on third-party originations, they're trying to take themselves from six to eight percent to 25% of the market, which is like an unprecedented market capture. And I think the reason that they're focused on TPO is that they believe that's the best way they're going to hit that metric. If you look at blend, I think their sort of bigger priority is two things. One is that they are looking at how do we cross sell into all of these different products, right? And sort of become the best suite for banks. And so they're not just looking at mortgage, but they're looking at auto loans. They're looking at depository uh, accounts and how do you cross sell these products? And so they're tackling bit of a different problem. And then they're also looking at how do we monetize the transaction for us? And I think this might get to a theme we talk about later, but you know, Blend acquired Title 365 so that they can monetize title. They have their Blend Realty Group so that they can monetize real estate leads. I think Blend has really said from a business case, we're interested in tackling all of these other, other sort of components. And, uh, and so I think they, they just really haven't chosen to focus on this problem in the same way. Um, granted with Blend, I think the structural advantage we have is that we do have that mortgage expertise as well. I think for, for blend, they're really smart guys as well. Um, they have a, a really good technology background, but I don't think they have quite the background of like ac- actually operating a mortgage company and, and sort of what the subtleties are of the interconnections between the pieces that are needed there.
2: I appreciate that. So, so you didn't quite answer the, uh, maybe answer banks, the why right? better than banks. Yeah. So traditional, a, a traditional lender, let's say.
0: Yeah. Well. So let's take the traditional lender in general. I think the the issue with the traditional lender, and you know, this is going to be kind of like, I think what we're going to see is this is kind of like yellow pages, right? Like yellow pages still exists and people still use it. Uh, not a lot of us anymore, but uh, some people do. Uh, I actually have a cousin, funnily enough, who uh, is kind of in the New York Wall Street game, and their whole business is built around investing in companies that everyone already thinks are worth zero like yellow that's interesting (laughs) because everyone thinks they're worth zero and then they put it at some value slightly higher than that and it's really worth slightly more than that and then when the market finally realizes it they get a huge arbitrage off of that um and i think you know the the retail loan environment is is kind of like that right now it has Uh, a huge share still. And I don't think that's going away super fast. You know, to the point that you made, people do really want to feel other people in the transaction. And that's actually not just true of consumers. It's true of, and one of the big things we think about in purchase is real estate agents. Real estate agents are a customer too, because state agents also need to feel certainty in a transaction. If they don't, then they are worried about losing the money they're going to make. And especially most real estate agents don't get to do that many transactions a year. So every transaction they get is super important, and so when we, you know, think about real estate agents as a customer, real estate agents obviously like to work with the person that they already know as well, because that gives them a feeling of more certainty and a feeling that at least if something goes wrong, they can get that guy to to be involved. Um, so I think you know it's gonna it's gonna take some time, just like the internet took time to get people to trust credit cards uh, being put into websites. But ultimately, the advantages that we have to those those places are one, our cost model is just fundamentally way lower than theirs. Because we have a much more efficient process, a much centralized process, and we don't sort of have this hunting in the field situation where people are paid large amounts of points on on a deal, we just are a better deal for the customer. Two, mortgage is fundamentally a commodity. it's not fun to say, especially if you're in the mortgage industry to uh, kind of talk about it, but like once the mortgage is done, right, we can decommoditize the experience, but once the mortgage is actually done and you have a 30-year fixed mortgage on your home, there's really no difference besides the rate you're paying between having a loan Monkey 30-year mortgage or having a Rocket 30-year mortgage or having a better 30-year mortgage. They're all the same Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac standard product. Um, And so when you keep that in mind, in a commodity market, ultimately, price should get standardized at some point, it shouldn't be the case that someone can take large premiums forever. And most of that, I think, relies on information asymmetries, which is, you know, people don't know all of that information. Two, I think it relies on sort of the fragmentation of real estate the fact that no one has really been able to take sort of let's say amazon level scale to this business and i think there are good reasons why they haven't been able to yet like i don't think it's that easy but but i think that's that's part of it as well and then i think the the third part is just that people are still getting kind of more used to doing this process digitally and as they get more used to doing that and as they feel more and more that they can get the same comfort from the digital experience with a person on the phone uh and sort of the certainty advantages that we can provide i think that will that will help with that um the one other thing i'd say in terms of certainty and one of the things we focused on there is you know if you work with a retail environment and you go to get your pre-approval you'll either get a loan officer who reviews your documents and that turn time could be a few days or if he sends it to an underwriter you know it'll be even longer in our case one of the things we're able to enable by having this digital experience is that you are looking at a home, Friday night, 10 PM, you're like, hey, they're having an open house tomorrow and it's a competitive market. I got to go to that open house, but I haven't started any of my stuff. You can go on Learn Monkey, apply right then and there. And within 30 minutes, uh, you know, let's call it 15 to 20 minutes for the application, another 15, 10 to 15 minutes for the AI underwriting to run through it. You can have a full underwritten approval to walk into that open house and have an as good as cash offer. Um, that you walk in with. And I think that's just something that at some point is going to become more and more important, offering that certainty upfront.
2: Yeah, no, I agree with that. Interesting points. Um, let's talk about sort of what I think of was the holy grail for mortgage, which is the actually having a mobile mortgage, like something that you can do completely by your phone. Um, not just the application, not just, okay, I've uploaded documents, but, but where are we in that? Is that even the goal? Um, you know, we, we do know that there are uh, a number of borrowers who it, it, really their phone is, you know, they may not have a laptop, they may not have a computer, but uh, their phone is the way that they are going to do most of their transactions. So what does that look like? Not just the mobile application.
0: Yeah. Great question. Um... You know, I mean, I think from a technology standpoint, this problem is actually solved. Um, what I mean by that is I don't think there's a single provider who's necessarily providing that whole whole situation yet. I know, you know, Symbol Nexus is trying really hard to kind of be that guy, but, um, but I think fundamentally the technology elements are there and we can link those technology elements together and we can, you know, we actually can provide that, that experience where our customers do everything through their phone. I think one of the major blockers to this being a total reality is the uh, regulatory environment. So, as an example, uh, we do a lot of loans here in California. In California, you have to sign those documents physically uh, with a notary. So, oh, yes,
2: yes, right we've now. been talking about the the fact that California has said they will never do Ron, they will never do re- remote online notarization. Well, yeah. we'll see that we, we've got the Secure Act coming through, maybe but, but I totally understand that.
0: It seems super ironic to me because like Silicon Valley is in California. And meanwhile, Texas has full run. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how California is cool with that happening, but
2: California, Texas is beating you. What does that say?
0: Yeah. 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 Uh, There's a good rivalry there. Um, But at any rate, um, you know, I think I think the regulatory environment is really the main kind of hurdle to tackle. Like fundamentally, even that part we can do through the phone. And uh, even you know one of the things that has been added to phone capability now is uh, is virtual appraisals, right? So Freddie Mac, for example, has a pilot where you can do virtual appraisals uh, on a home instead of having an appraiser actually walk into your home, and that can be done through your phone. And uh, you know, so we on our side have actually integrated with all of these different technologies to allow that experience. And so we technologically could deliver that today. But I think the the main hurdle is the regulatory environment. And I think the regulation is going to have to change. Like, I don't think it's, it's the case that the law can stay frozen forever. But uh, much like every other part of the law, I think it's going to move pretty slow. Uh, the one thing I can also say is I do think it is uh, a matter of you know, affecting to, to your point, there are a lot of clients who don't have laptops or computers or other things. Right, phones is sort of one of the the key devices that everyone has, and so I do think at some point, hopefully, the CFPB and others realize that there is a, a bit of a you know like equal opportunity problem here. You know, certain demographics have more access to computers than others, and digital experiences are fundamentally cheaper than non-digital experiences because the costs are just lower for those businesses and so fundamentally by not uh having the regulation match that it means that there is effectively an implicit discrimination that happens in pricing that people receive on their home financing
2: uh, no I, I it's something i think about a lot is that that balance between regulation and innovation and um you know, sometimes the the government's uh, any any particular administration or regulatory body can be at odds with itself. So, if, if we want to expand home ownership, which we know that the Biden administration uh, has made that a priority and has really, um, you know, empowered HUD, FHFA, others to to do that. At the same time, if they're cracking down in a way that, you know, depending on how they do that, depending on the laws that are already on the books, um, they're, they're sort of at cross purposes. With that uh, goal, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. Um, I did have a, a question, kind of about the the Ridge Box, which um, the the Product Accelerator, and and the question I had was that you know right now a lot of um, every mortgage, every mortgage company, every lender. Really wants to see how can we get more efficiencies in the process, right? Because you know margins are thin, and um, we know that volume is going to be affected by rates as they rise. All these things. So one of the things that you do at Ridgebox is um, you help founders with designing operational infrastructure and efficiencies. So, what have you learned by doing that there that that you feel like is helpful for Loan Monkey or or just for lenders in general?
0: Yeah, I mean you know one of the big things at Ridgebox. was, like I said, kind of taking this very business first approach before we we put technology and stuff in. And then I think maybe though, as a secondary, you know our bread and butter at Ridgebox was technology. So what I mean by that is you know what we were particularly good at there is really understanding someone's business, what things could be taken over by technology, and ultimately, Technologizing the
2: process—that's <laughs> that's that's definitely a word. word. Yeah,
0: uh, I, I'm going to claim it. Uh, <laughs> and you know, I think by way of the experience of doing that in several different industries, you know, we did that in everything from like event planning to weightlift coaching mm-hmm. to dry bulk shipping to real estate and so forth. We got we got a, a pretty good breadth of experience in how to look at these types of problems. And I think you know, probably what I'm going to say in a sense is going to be basic, but honestly, sometimes the basics are, are really the thing that work. You know, the big thing that we did when we looked at processes and how to sort of improve them is, you know, one, what is the goal of this process Two, what are the key steps that absolutely have to happen? Uh, and then three, which of those steps, like, which way can those steps be done that's most repeatable, uh, and, the reason you want most repeatable is you want to reduce error rates you want to make sure it happens as efficiently as possible and uh you know you don't want variability in what ultimately comes out and then once we looked at those things we would then ask ourselves okay where can we insert uh technology to do this thing and then where do we actually have to rely on people to do this thing and as much as possible you ultimately want to get to the technology side and then i'd say the only Other caveat, and I think one of the big things that we took a lot from startup culture, which may not be as common in the mortgage industry, is uh, we're not afraid of doing work twice. You know, sometimes people will have this thing in companies where they're like, oh, well, if I do this thing this way today, then I'm just going to have to redo all the work again in two months. And I think for us, we're like, okay, cool. We'll redo the work again in two months. The the point is, what is the fastest thing I can get out now that gives me improvement? And then I'll iterate on that again and again and again and again. And I might end up doing the same work and fixing the same process seven or eight times. But it means I can get stuff out today. And a lot of times when I get something out today, I'll find out that my first hypothesis wasn't right and that I have some mistakes and that if I had gone with the longer way of doing it, I would have done it wrong anyways. And so I think that's that's kind of the, I guess I made that five steps, but the five-step process that that we built there.
2: No, I, I love that. And I, I do think when you think about um, the tolerance for iteration that a startup might have versus a tr- more traditional lender, I can see that there would be in that um, a, a much higher tolerance and, and a much willi- more willingness to, to learn as you go not, not in a you know bad regulatory way, but just from an operational and um, efficiency way. Right. So, Very interesting. Ashwin, thank you so much for being on with us today. Really a great conversation. We're going to be watching Lone Monkey and, uh, and seeing how you take on the big guys and, and what you guys continue to do. So thanks for your time today.
0: Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
2: Great conversation. We'll talk to you later.
1: Partner with Rocket Pro TPO and get great tools to grow your business. Do more for your clients with the SOS Scenario Desk, a dedicated team ready to answer questions about loan products or guidelines before you submit a loan. Rocket Connect lets you problem solve or connects you to an expert team helping loans move faster. The tech, products, and resources you need now. Visit rocketprotpo.com to partner with us today. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states and MLS number 3030. Thank you for listening to the Housing News Podcast. Please don't forget to give us feedback and rate us on iTunes. Until our next episode, make sure to check out Housing Wire Daily, a podcast dedicated to the hottest news stories across HW Media. The podcast is published each day and is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcast. Thanks for listening.